Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, roads and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. I always think like it's really healthy to feel a little bit insecure about your business. If ever I, me or Phil or Dor, anyone honest, sits back and sort of, you know, puts their arms up and thinks, great, that's me now, I'm done, then we failed. Like, you've got to always feel like you can do more to achieve more. That word honest is that it's almost like the kind of unicorn. We probably will never be able to live up to that across every single area of the business because it's a big business now, and it's, but we want to. This is Tom Barton co-founder of the amazing UK burger chain Honest Burger, and they operate 45 restaurants here in the UK. And what I love about them is that they do one thing well, and that's burgers. And they do not only taste amazing, but they also created with ingredients that are sourced with care and delivered by a group of people that are absolutely obsessive about giving you a very unique experience. And they have won a number of awards, such as Best Overall Restaurant Operator in 2016, and many others. And in this conversation, Tom and I talk about how Honest have achieved sustained competitive advantage through their unique culture. And Tom shares how they over the years has developed a culture to deliver something that is valuable, rare, and hard to imitate. And both employees and customers are in deeply love with he also shares some of the changes they've done over the last 18 months to build an even stronger culture to help them navigate and adapt to the new paradigm of hospitality. We also talk about their approach to sourcing their ingredients and Tom talks about how they always are trying to learn and find better ways when it comes to sourcing products that's good for you, the community and the planet. Honest is in my view a rare proof of they can actually scale a hospitality business without losing the soul and the key principle of what made it special. Before you tune in, please sign up for a weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. But now, stop whatever you're doing and grab pen and notebook. There are some killer learnings in here on how you build a culture that gives you a sustained competitive edge. I'm very excited about today's conversation because it's actually one of my first face-to-face since we came out of, uh, or are we out of the pandemic? I actually don't know. Maybe we're going to touch about that today. I was almost taking a statement I didn't know here. But I'm also excited because we're going to talk about some of the things I really believe in. How do we actually build a great organization that both employees and customers love? And we're also going to talk about like how do we actually use an organization and its culture and its way of thinking to actually become your competitive advance. 
And uh, we're also going to talk about, you know, how is hospitality's role when it comes to climate change and all the other challenges we have around the world, uh, and how can we play part of it in in a in a positive way? And I'm sure much much more leadership lessons and so on. So it's a great pleasure to welcome you to the show, Tom. It's been a long waiting. I know. Thank you for having me, Michael. Um, like I said, lovely to be here in person and see lots of faces around as well. Nice yeah. busy, busy hove we're at. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, it's a great. And you're down in Brighton again, where in principle, where it all started it out. Literally, yeah, where, where Honest was conceived down in Brighton. Um, so, yeah, I've got lots of fun memories here and it's lovely. Sun shining yeah. right by the water. Yeah, and uh, and it's a lovely day out there. And also, yeah, a lot has happened since. And, you know, and you, you had some very clear ideas about where you want to head with this when you started out. But I wanted to start with, with a different question is that, you know, how do you actually build a company that customers and employees love and support so much like, like your business, like people are raving on it about internally and externally? Um, I think I think there's got to be a element of, you know, you've got to do what feels right to you. Um, and fortunately, you know, it was me, Phil and Dorian when we founded um, Honest that was a huge part of our business. We did things, we played to our own strengths. So we, we created a business that we would want to go eat in, that we would feel proud to go and eat in, that we would love to bring our friends to and our family and and give them a meal and know that if we, you know, if we did everything right, they would love it. Um, so there was no kind of, there was nothing inauthentic about the brand. We really wanted to just do what felt right to us. Um, and I think that's where some brands can go wrong is they can be too focused on a, a trend or a, or something fashionable or something that doesn't quite feel sit right with them, but they think it sits right with a potential customer. So they can deviate away from, from their own kind of true soul and the brand. Um, but for us, it was very much, we just, we, you know, Phil and I, when we started the business, you know, before Honest Burgers, it was actually Honest Eating Co., and we didn't know anything then. <laughs> we were, we, I was fresh out of uni. We just wanted to make good food. That was it, you know, and we did it out of a tent. Um, and, you know, good food and burgers of all things have such a emotive um, sort of sensibility about them. I, my, my view is because you eat them with your hands, you feel instantly more connected to things you eat with your hands and you do, you know, a kind of fine dining experience, which is, you know, there, there's a completely different thing altogether but you eat something with your hands you, you get stuck in you feel quite connected to it and you know when we did our when we did our burgers we just wanted it to taste great and just be really good quality ingredients nothing that we would not be um proud to show our customers and we've tried to stay completely true to that um you know 10 years on uh, did you have the vision for at some point you found out it's burgers because I love the thing you said eating with your hands that it's quite a powerful thing and actually sharing if you're even sharing it with other people like you know eating and sharing things yeah. with your hands it's like you know it's known all over the world there's a very few in the world actually eat with cutlery if you start yeah, thinking yeah. about from a food tradition but that's a different conversation coming back to how you build a business like that did you know that you wanted to develop it very soon on the journey into you know a business a, a chain of you now your 45 restaurants across the uk uh i think i would say absolutely not no we we thought when phil and i started we we had five grand between us so you know not a, a huge amount of money to set up a business we never thought about restaurants 
we were very much gunning for the festival kind of street food, you know, and this was 12 years ago, so the street food kind of revolution was, was in its real early infancy stage. Um, so we just thought, because we had very little money, um, that we could try and tackle the festival markets. We spent all our money on, on equipment and a, and a bit of branding. My wife um, helped us with some some branding. We were called The Honest Eating Co. But we didn't. We, we very quickly realised we didn't even have enough money to get into the festival circuit because we spent all our money on the equipment. And then you got to spend thousands of pounds on pitch fees, thousands of pounds on stock, on logistics, all those things that we had no understanding of. Um, so... We, we did some birthdays with some festivals. We did Brighton Food Festival. We actually did really well there. It was one of the few events we made a little bit of money from. Um, but no, restaurants were not on the cards at all. Um, it was a very long-winded tangent where we came across a guy called Dorian who had worked, done a bit of work in Brighton actually with Bills and worked a lot for Strada at that kind of um, bigger um, chain restaurant level. And he just heard about what we were doing. We went for a beer with him. We, we, we all got on really well. We all kind of shared similar values. Um, and we thought we could give it a go in the restaurant business. Um, but again, we had no cash. So we thought, I mean, initially me and Phil thought Dor was gonna bankroll us a restaurant because he had quite a successful career. Um, but he's a shrewd Welshman, as Dorian. He's far too clever for that. So when he came on board, he said, I'll, I'll match whatever you guys can match. Um, for this new company which was you know the square root of nothing basically <laughs> um, so yeah so we so door came on board and that's when we started this whole restaurant journey um, which would have been a far more standard um, experience you know we would have gone out we would have tried to raise some money from a VC or anyone that would, would be interested at that stage and open a proper restaurant in a proper high street location. So, you know, we'd probably have needed 250 grand or something like that, giving away a massive chunk of the business. And, um, and you know, that's how most businesses would have began back then. Um, instead, we managed to get Brixton, um, which is smaller than this room we're in today. Um, you know, it's 25 square meters. We opened that for seven and a half grand and made our business from it you know we we owe so much to that tiny little room where we just we really kind of we really mastered our trade there and our craft and that was a huge moment for us and we learned so much in that tiny little space and that real kind of humble beginnings has just stayed true and how we grow the business now our strategy of how we grow it um i always say i would, I would love our customers to have a burger in brixton i'd love every single one of our customers present and future to eat one in Brixton because it just means a lot more. There's a lot of soul and heart in that restaurant. Mm, and, and that's super, super interesting. What is the, uh, you mentioned, it seems like there is some business principles that has followed you. If there was not like a, a vision about being a big restaurant chain, but there's definitely some, some business principles that follow you. And I guess they inform the way you behave and act as a business, both internally and externally. And that's what people love, I guess. Could you, you give a couple of examples of some of the most you know powerful or most important principles you run the business on still today i should be able to give you some really technical ones because i did a business degree at brighton but um i kind of erased most of that um while i was studying but the i think the business principles for us the, the best one we've got is that word above our door literally having honest above the door and i was literally on the train down here i'm, I'm trying to articulate 
what that means to us as a business and it's so powerful to have something to keep you in check all the time um i think like innocent are quite a good example of that and the, the, to have that that you know you can't you you would never expect innocent to not behave any other way and it's the same with us with that word we we in all honesty we haven't we haven't worked out how we fully live up to it and we may never will because it's such a powerful word but that's that challenge and that kind of mission is what's going to keep honest on the right path um and we have a quite a blunt phrase in our exec team which is very simple it's just don't be a dick mm. which you'd be amazed how many businesses don't adhere to that you know we we like to treat our people like human beings with the right level of respect that you would give a human being we don't want robots we don't want a million service steps which is what so many big businesses have learned to love is these you know almost like a shackle that you give to your people and most people go into hospitality they're full of energy and, and charisma and personality and they love you know engaging with people and then they start work and you whack these handcuffs on them and it's like you know follow the 15 step program and you know it's it just doesn't work so we, we just we we worked in hospitality all of us for for varying amounts of um time but we'd all been disenfranchised by it a lot and just thought there's an easier way and a lot of that is just ripping it up really and starting from scratch in a way more simplistic view and giving people that work for us respect to be themselves and let them let them make mistakes we always say you know it's not a mistake unless you've made it twice um you know own your mistakes don't shy away from them um but yeah the the biggest lesson for us is that word you know that that keeps us really on track and if we go against it and we we have done in the past if we do we look back we we resolve the areas that we've messed up on um and we we move forward with it so it's it's really good to have that kind of constant reminder that what kind of business you want to be yeah and i said uh i was thinking as we're preparing for this as well like the brand name is so powerful that you almost can almost ask the question you know is this honest yeah what like 100%. You, what are you doing yeah, now yeah. in that moment of time and you will probably always have a difficulties to live 100% up to it because it's, it's like saying i want to be great yeah well you're never done it's a process but that's the best thing and sorry to, like that if you i always think like it's really healthy to feel a little bit insecure about your business i think if if ever if ever honest if ever i me or Phil or door anyone honest sits back and sort of you know puts their arms up and thinks great that's me now i'm done then we failed like you've got to always feel like you can do more to achieve more and that's you know that word honest is that it's almost like the kind of unicorn we probably will never be able to live up to that across every single area of the business because it's a big business now and this but we want to and as long as we're trying and you know this is what the next few years are for me you know we've been around for 10 years now which um shows in the gray hairs on my head but it's it's like a that that we I kind of see us now as we're kind of we we're, we're in our 30s now but both like physically I am in my 30s now but you know we're more mature as a business and and the last 10 years we've been we were in our kind of 20s we were trying to be our best but we were still 
you know, flawed, and we still weren't on the we weren't on the we weren't being as effective as we could be. Now I feel like we've got the time, we've got the resource, we've got the energy to really hone in on what it means to be honest um, and how we make sure that that word is across every single area of our business. Yeah, and I guess as you scale, that's because you have the same challenges that any chain. Because I can remember in the beginning, and I had that in my notes as well. This was it called uh, your uh, uh, anti-chain vision in a way so it doesn't mean you don't want to grow your business but you will be you mentioned before like putting the handcuffs off put the big manuals down and actually stop people from growing i think that's what you mean mean with well yeah i mean if i was going to ask you a question why why do you think businesses don't want to be called a chain it's because uh, in principle they are a chain uh handcuffs yeah we use that analogy and go back to that there's no one knows say uh i think it's because they don't want to live up to what it really is yeah and that's the that's the the well-trodden path of our hospitality industry is most chain restaurants they're either gunning for a three out of five or you just get a three out of five experience that's just the way it goes and you know phil phil has a really powerful speech on this um that he, he gives to our guys He's probably doing it right now. Actually, he's doing an old school hospitality course with um, a load of our managers. But they're basically chain restaurants, in our opinion, and not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them restrict themselves by gunning for three out of five experiences. And they will be consistently three out of five every single time you go there, no matter what time of day, what day of the week, you'll get that experience. But then, then they're they're kind of clipping their own wings. They're not allowing themselves to ever get a five out of five or a 10 out of 10 or, you know, even better than that because they're so terrified of getting one bad customer that they just put these big rules in, um, put these big service steps in. They restrict what their teams are allowed to say. I mean, one of the worst ones I heard, and I won't name who it was, but that someone got a disciplinary because they called a customer guy or they were like hi hi mate or like hey guys how's it going and that customer complained and head office acted on it and they decided to issue a list of words that you're not allowed to say to customers and that word they weren't like shit or fuck or anything like that it was like guys mate and it was like if i'm if i work for a business in hospitality and I get given a list of words I'm not allowed to say I, I literally feel like I'm 10 years old I feel like you're at school and the cultural impact that you see in a business like that I think it's, it's damning it's just gonna it's just you're clipping the wings of these people that work for you you're treating them like children um, but you know you won't get that customer who complained called, that someone called them mate and you know as head office that might be great box ticked you know we've, we've, we've won that but it's just these like over over policed kind of environment and we just let our guys be themselves like we really do we we and we if we get an issue we get a problem we get a complaint we deal with it it happens everyone gets things that go wrong right it doesn't matter who you are how big or small you are you'll get issues but we are gunning for five out of five you know that is what we want your experience to be um and we're prepared to take one out of fives. We'd rather, Phil would say, he'd much rather a one out of five than a three out of five. We don't want people to come into Honest and feel like, you know, yeah, it's okay. 
we want them to love it you know to really feel like they've they've had a connection with the person serving them and they've loved our food and they've enjoyed learning a little bit about our brand and that's what I think you struggle to get in chain restaurants and that's why I think people see that C word as an insult mm. and that's why we kind of try and behave like the anti-chain um, and all of the local stuff we do as well which is something you don't expect a big restaurant with you know big company 45 restaurants we've got 45 local burgers on our menus which work with more than 45 local suppliers and these can be you know a tiny little start out business in Chiswick that might make barbecue sauce from a kitchen at home or it might be a you know bigger dairy in Bristol and Westcombe Dairy who've got you know a big dairy but they're still really fiercely independent and incredible um, masters of their craft and yeah it's an absolute headache for for our supply chain for our accounts team for all the people they have to deal with for our allergens for our food safety but it gives our managers I keep calling them managers sorry we call them uh, restaurateurs gives our restaurateurs power and control over their own restaurant and that's why we call them restaurateurs because we want them to feel like it's their restaurant because it is they get to, to call the shots they get to decide their local beer they get to go out and choose it they get to um, to choose their local burger and go out and find the businesses that they think would work for their restaurant um, it's stuff like that that we think is really important and you know by all accounts so do our, our restaurant managers our restaurateurs they seem to to really like the fact that we give them the freedom to just go go wild really and we get some great burgers out of it as well I love I made a note before but she said something that was really interesting I thought that you talked about the way you actually you know you communicate to people and how you treat people and you you said in a way that is a an overwhelming part of the industry where you have the parent-child relationship with employees and we can come back to the staffing crisis in a moment where yeah. I think that's one of the reasons and uh, and there's you know you talk parent-parent in a way and that's what you in a way say that actually we can never create a psychological safe and exciting workplace before we actually meet our people at the same place where they are and actually just treat them as grown-ups yeah, exactly I mean Brian and Brian and Phil Brian's our ops director um, and he's had you know a career with sort of Wagabummers and Nando's and, he, and he's a great guy and he's he's really revolutionized the way we work as a business because the old school way we call it the Christmas tree model where it's like you know CEO at the top and you kind of filter all the way down and you've got all these different levels of, of management um, and they're all there to effectively protect head office from you know making a mistake and they've got all these different levels and area managers and blah 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 and you keep going down and ultimately if you're if you're a general manager or a, you know restaurateur as we call them you feel like you're being babysat and that whole system is there to make sure that the lowest 10% of your business is okay and and doesn't make a mistake and you're always going to have the lowest 10% of any business right who whether it's people who've just started or people who just aren't very good at their job and that's just the way the world is but that whole model is there to protect them and it's at the expense of the top 10% or the top 20 or the top 30% of people who could be thriving in a better environment when they're giving freedom they're given freedom to go out and run their restaurant the way they want to 
And obviously, we're a, we are a, a, a restaurant that has consistency across um, across our business. And if a restaurateur decides they want to put a pizza on the menu, we're obviously going to have a conversation with them. But they wouldn't do that. Right? No. They're not idiots. They know, you know, if they want to put a five quid burger on the menu and buy their meat from a local butcher, they know they're not. That's not going to happen. So. You know, it is a bit of a, a bit of a step into the unknown in terms of just giving our guys freedom, but we're prepared to to tackle issues when they come along, have grown up conversations, and find a resolution to that. And, and so interesting, also because you were catching yourself before in the words you were using. You went, "Oh, oh no, they're not managers," because we are so. You know, you went to business yeah, school, yeah. and I've been through. And I work McDonald's, and we have these. You know top-down industrial language command and control managers and responsibility accountability all those words so words is also very powerful i can see what you do as well what i think is very interesting is the way you try to communicate both internally and externally you're very aware about the words you use because they words are very powerful they have deep meanings you know yeah yeah hugely um like i said on the way down here i was typing up this i don't know what to call it but it's kind of a bit of a, I don't know, maybe even like a monologue is the right word. Um, I don't even know, I'm not 100% sure I know what that word means, so probably not, but it's... Um, Manifesto? Yeah, I don't want to say it sounds really wanky, but yeah. it is this kind of, you know, what, how do we live up to the word honest? Um, and I find it hilarious because I kind of do a lot of our copywriting at Honest. And I find it hilarious that I'm in an industry where I'm kind of writing stuff um, because I never thought that, and I don't think my English teacher at school would have <laughs> um, would have believed that either. But yeah, there's there's definitely a there's a tone to get right, and that's how you talk to people. And I definitely don't get that right a lot of the time. I can be quite blunt, um, and that can be quite difficult for sure. Um, but there's definitely a, you know how you communicate, what kind of brand you have internally and externally, and you know we've we've seen the benefits of having a really powerful brand externally which my lovely wife um can take a lot of credit for because it's it's so easy to engage with you know whether that's the name the color the the flow diagram on the menu the the simplicity of it speaks so confidently and that's it's so incredibly important um and that's what we're trying to find that internal brand now with our with our people um which is what we're kind of focusing on for the next few years is how do we really live into the live up to this anti-chain philosophy we call it honest 2.0 um you know burning down the christmas tree model and mm. trying to reinventing our own our own um our own way of doing things and it's you know we're in we're in the early phases of that we decided this year would be the right year to do it which <laughs> Um, you know why the hell not we've got lots uh, everything else seems to be going um, you know people are people are wanting more we need this industry like we kind of alluded to earlier um, before the podcast the industry needs a wake up call otherwise it's just I don't know what's going to be left of it so um, we're going to we're trying to help with that um, staying staying a bit of this track uh, around, you know, how you build an organization where you call it uh, burning down the Christmas tree. I call it freedom to, to operate, and you give them, you know, empower them them locally. How do you do that? Because I can almost see when people listen to this thing, 
yeah, that's all. That's all great. But how do you actually practically start doing, you know, initiatives to do that? Because you didn't. I guess you experimented to find out what works for you. Yeah, I mean, it's. I definitely. I'm not taking any credit for this. This is a lot of um, work for Phil and Brian um, have been the real kind of leaders of this in our company. But um, I think it's come from a lot of it came from Brian's own experience working in that model where he was a very capable manager yet he was treated the same as the bottom 10 percent yet he could have been so much more in that business had he been given the freedom um and the way we've tried to do it and it has been um you know we've had lots of lots of conversations one of within the first lockdowns it gave us all a chance as an exec team to to basically spend a lot of time on zoom um and work out what you know we had some really emotional conversations and you know people's emotions were running high and low during that time anyway so we had we went really deep into what we want honest to stand for and it was almost like a kind of you know ground zero moment for for all businesses where you kind of started again um and we've decided that we think it's better for us as a business if we give our guys more responsibility simple as that really but we need to give them the resource to be great we're not just like you know, getting rid of area managers and saying, go for it, guys, you know, fill your boots, do what you want. We have to now give them a framework of resource so they can make the right decisions. And it's very much like down to them. We're not going to force it on them. They need to come to us. You know, if I, I sort of head up our food dev team. We used to go and I just, Adam, our, who's a, our head of collaborations, what he doesn't know about food isn't worth knowing he used to go to sites and say right there's this great restaurant down the road um they've got this great dish we think we could partner with you i'm going to introduce you via email blah 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 now we don't do that now it's up to the restaurateur they go out and they find the businesses they want to do and we will help them um once they've made that step but it's the the hand holding and the babysitting is gone now now you want to be a leader in our business you you need to act like one um and you need to be mature and grown up and we'll treat you like that and it's been it's been you know it's not been easy for sure it's been difficult there's been lots of um of hiccups along the way and we knew that was was coming because it's a completely new mindset but we do believe it's the right way to empower the right people and that's the crazy thing that you go back the last 10 20 years these you know general managers as they would always be called they're not treated like general managers you know and they should be because they are the ones that are ticking over the business and making the exec team and the shareholders millions of pounds when you see these huge great you know 100 to 300 million pound sales that is on the general managers work that they do day in day out and they're not treated like that and they don't get well they don't get rewarded i don't think in in the right way so we're trying to give our guys ownership of their business so they can treat it like them, their own business and have that kind of pride um when they come into work every day but yeah it's not not easy for sure 
it's interesting you're very we're very humble about it like it's also like any change you need to go it's, it's not easy but you need to start pushing the boat over the first two you got to start somewhere haven't you yeah and and then you hit out on sea at some point and it becomes easier as people picks it up as well because also these people as you call them the general managers has been used to be in the christmas tree organization where the things are thrown down at them well, in the bottom that was my first comment when we started talking about this i was like are we sure that you know, when we called them general managers back then, are we sure this is what they want? Because it is a tried and tested career development, right? You you maybe start at an assistant manager, then you go to a general manager, and then you go to an area manager, and then, you know, you don't work in restaurants anymore, and you sit in head office, and that's kind of like most people, how they progress. And if you're lucky, then you might get to a director role, or you go, go into the exec, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I was worried initially, is that what people want? Do they want to lose that? And we're, that's what we're kind of wrestling with at the moment, is how can we give career development to people um, in the right way? Because we want to reward people, but they don't have to just follow that boring path. It doesn't, you know, we might have, we've got some people who are unbelievable at working a room. They are absolute masters at it. But in most businesses, that is their ceiling. They'll never earn more money. They'll never get more responsibility. They will be a shift runner or maybe an assistant manager. They might be a crap assistant manager because actually all they're really, really great at is just managing a room, you know, being that kind of conductor and, and befriending people within two minutes of knowing them. And, you know, but that's a skill. So we're looking at ways of how we can reward that without imposing and forcing a managerial role. Because some people just aren't very good managers, right? Some people just want to be... And they don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. But you're not going to say no to the pay raise. Exactly. You get pushed into it. And then a year down the line, you're like, oh, I hate this. I'm going to leave now. And, you know, we've lost that person who was brilliant at what they do. Um, So, yeah, there's tons. um, I do feel like I'm I'm bastardizing a bit because it's very much Phil Phil and Brian's um, role. But that's where our head's at in terms of we want to just look at it through a fresh lens because if the last 10 years has taught us anything we, the, the industry needs to adapt and the last two years has taught us anything the industry really does need to adapt um it's interesting also that you're almost focusing on making them you know you call them restaurateur that's what what maman called herself when she ran her business and she was an entrepreneur in principle yeah. but and it's interesting giving them entrepreneurial skills so they can go on and actually that's very interesting the reason why i want to go over there is that you you create an incubator internally in the business uh, on sx yeah can you, can you tell a bit about that and what that does for, for you as an organization yeah again it's um that's um definitely uh, phil's baby and it's been a um it's been something that's kind of in its sort of early development stage at the moment but one part of that is it's kind of like where we would we would put projects um that innovate within honest um and you know maybe one day outside of honest um because we've got some great innovators in our business and we like to think we're quite an innovative business in general the way we've done things over the past and one of the areas that sits under at the moment is this street food incubator um which is effectively we feel like over the past few years we've had lots of people come work for us um who said they they came to work for honest because they wanted to learn how to set up a business um and they wanted to see 
how me and Phil had done it and, you know, maybe learn from some of the things we'd done, um, get some expertise and then go off and do their own thing, which I absolutely love that people um, have that connection to us. And then we started thinking, you know, as a business, we've got lots of expertise, lots of expertise much wider than my own um, in our, you know, finance team and our ops team, our people team. We've got all these skills that we could help businesses become, you know, a better business and we could incubate them from, you know, from the ground up, basically. So this is what we've started. We've got a site. We've got this collaboration with Backyard Cinema down in Wandsworth where we've got, uh, we, we serve burgers out there. And there's also a little street food pitch that we've set up. Um, and we're basically asking our guys um, who work for Honest to pitch their concept to us. Um, and we've got one um, a guy, a great a guy who's worked for us for a while now called James Moody, who's doing a, a gravy business um, that we've been working with him for a few months now. And he's out there kind of honing his craft, working out how he can create a consistent delicious menu and trialing it on us and we're giving him feedback and you know we, we help him use he can use our prep kitchen to develop his recipes and all this kind of stuff um and it's going it's going well you know it's it's, it's james has got a great um energy about him and we're going to try and help him you know as kind of any way we can but the idea is yeah we want to give people a platform to start their own business and hopefully allow them to make less mistakes than we did uh, and that, that's super exciting because a lot of people in hospitality actually you know have a dream of setting up their own business but often it's the skills they can learn in a in a safe place yeah because often you come out and it's like jumping into deep water and often it goes really wrong the first one and then you need a lot of energy to try on the second one a lot of courage to bounce back yeah. you know and that's um I feel for anyone that sets up a business outside of their 20s because for me in my 20s I thought I could do anything. I was like, you know, when we set up Honest, I honestly don't think I ever thought for one second that it would fail. We just we just did it and we didn't think, you know, two days in advance. We were thinking like we were in the moment so deeply that we just always thought it was going to work. <laughs> It's that kind of sort of near on arrogance of a 24 year old you just you just plow ahead with it whereas now I'd just be you just constantly be thinking what if what's the problems what have you thought of you know what could go wrong I guess that's also an advantage that you are uh, I called it a bit naive in my 20s as well you yeah just, yeah you massively just, you just you just hit on it and you learn something because arrogance you, of youth isn't it yeah, arrogance of youth you could call it as well yeah And another thing I noticed, you because we talked a bit about culture and you know how do you attract and retain people. That's implicit in how you you run a business. People come to you for that, and they probably stay for for long as well compared to the average hospitality. But I saw you're also doing like these things of gathering people. Are you having the honest fest coming up soon? Yeah, and I guess that's also something where you know people build relationships, and it's just a different thing. It, it seems a bit more than just a party, but yeah we've um we've done the you know the historical get-togethers that generally just descend into chaos and it's just a you know two-day piss up basically we've done them they're fun but you don't really get anything from them 
Um, and we, it was very much our people director, Chantelle, when she came on, she was like, these can be so much more. They can, they can really heal things. They can, we can, when you get people together, you have great conversations and then you can get pissed and have fun. You know, that should be part of it because, you know, we work in a high stress environment. So we did our first one was Camp Honest um, a couple of years ago where we, it was a, it was a, a meeting for all of our, um, our restaurateurs and our leaders and we wanted to get more out of it and there was and it was incredible and it was really emotional and there's lots of people um you know lots of tears lots of um lots of really really meaningful um conversations and it it was a really emotional for me as a as a founder of the business to see what it had become um and quite uh quite powerful and i, I really enjoyed it and i know um i know that a lot of our managers kind of walked away and they felt like it had been a really meaningful moment and so honest fest is that again but bigger and wider and every one of the companies invited um and we just think now more than ever we need we need that you know and it it, it is it's a big investment for us as a company now we're closing the restaurants for a day um apologies to any customers because of that but you know our people need a break they've worked so goddamn hard the last couple of years in some of the most obscenely stressful conditions um, that we want to get them together and we want to give them a good time um, and give them some great food, give them some great music and I know the good, the good times that will be felt after that will be weeks and months from now um, and it's fancy dress and I love fancy dress So, What are you going to dress out so as a secret? I have a pretty fetching pair of green corduroy flares that um, I'm going to be donning. It's kind of we're going with the summer of love theme. So I've got a wig that I wish was my own hair. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, a lovely 70s shirt, which is going to be ruined because we've got a dunk tank, which I'm going to almost certainly get dunked in Yeah, with my outfit. But hey, hey. Yeah, well, uh, also because you're the founder, so yes. it's obvious, or one of the co-founders. Um, taking it from from you building this uh, incredible environment where you're working hard to to hit five every day, you're on this progress. The industry has just gone through probably a tipping point in many ways. The pandemic, coupled with Brexit, have you really changed some things and. Uh, Staff is difficult to, to get. It's one of the biggest challenges probably for decades. And it's always been hard, but now it's harder than ever. What what are, are you doing? Are you changing anything within how you, you manage that and how you are doing your practices around, you know, recruitment, you know, retention? Um, yes, the guys are. I know that for sure. I know our people team are working tirelessly to try and um, show the world that Honest is a different place to work. Um, and there's you know significant career development but a different form of career development um generally for me i think people want to work somewhere where they like what they sell you see it sounds simple but you do you just you know we 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 having an, a menu um which has things that people want to eat on it is a big thing and and from a chefing perspective and you know chefing's always been really difficult to recruit for now with Brexit, with lots of people um, deciding to move back to Europe, um, see their families. You know, COVID has meant even more people have gone back because they may have not seen their families for two years. So it's like, I need to spend some proper time with my family now. 
it's really difficult um lots of people are throwing money at the problem which is is hard because it's very short term it's bound to impact customers eventually because it's just rising all these price bands um and pay pay bands sorry um which is eventually going to just mean people have to start charging more for food so yeah it's this pretty um pretty sort of wild west up there at the moment we we're not kind of we're very conscious of not doing anything knee-jerk honest we like to try and be very reasoned and calm um about our decisions um but doing things you know trying to give our guys a bit of passion and pride in what they do you know we we like to think that our chefs are working with real food when they work with us um I'm definitely going to sort of focus more on the chefing side of the your question just because that's more my area and we've got a post going out um hopefully today which we're going to basically show our customers that because we're working with new season potatoes our chips are a bit smaller um and because of the weather we've had recently these chip the potatoes coming out of the ground now are just a bit smaller than they would have been the years before um because of the variety because of the weather because of the time we've dug them out of the out of the ground it's things like that that I love, you know. I don't mind if we get a complaint that our customer says, "Oh, your chips are tiny." I'm like, they're real potatoes. We 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 work with real ingredients. It's the time of year. We want to be more honest about um, about that and about the supply chain. Um, and I think our chefs really like that. They like that they see the effort and energy we go to to make our food. And when they phone our main supplier, which is our own prep kitchen, they're talking to a colleague. Um, and I know that they like how much energy and effort we go to because they feel like they're on that journey as well. You know, it's not just it's not just phoning a third party and buying a product that you can buy in ten thousand other restaurants around the country. It's ours, and that that for me is so important. If you want to work in food. You want to work with proper food, not something that you can just buy from bookers or you know a cash and carry kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, outside of that, there's a lot, a lot of challenges on recruitment for sure. Um, I think things like Honest Fest. Um, we had a great gathering last week with our head chefs where we put on a massive um, dinner for them. We launched a third program called the Green Jackets, which is kind of for the kind of to aspire to. Um, for the best of the best in our chefs and you get these really cool um, jackets we made with a company called Phil Gray um, but it's giving our um, giving our back of house and front of house more of an identity um, and rewarding them and Phil, he'll laugh when he hear, if he hears this because a friend of his um, literally we were talking about it as I, was, as I was a little bit late for this podcast so I was shouting to Phil about it the value of giving someone something that doesn't have a financial value um, and I'm going to completely steal this from Jerome who's a friend of Phil's this analogy which I just thought was genius if you know if me and you were like old school old buddies and old mates and, and I met you in the pub and I gave you a pound and said I just want to give you that to say thank you for being such a good friend you know it's been really it's been really great these past few years it would obviously not mean very much it'd be quite weird to put a value on something whereas if I just sent you a text completely out of the blue and said just wanted to say thanks for being such a great friend these past few years it would mean so much more so rewarding our guys you know we've 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 lived we've gone through this where we used to give people 
a bottle of champagne on their first year and then a bigger bottle of champagne on their second year and then an even bigger bottle of champagne. And it was like, it was all just a bit transactional. So we're, we're trying to work out ways how we can get under the skin more and give people something that means something to them, um, which we're kind of just scratching the surface of. Yeah, and, and you know, this, this could be a very deep conversation about, you know, identity, because, you know, I think a lot of the, the staffing crisis, in my view, is not all of it. Some of it is like people have lost, they, they found out, I, I don't have an identity. They mm. maybe haven't, theoretically in their mind, they said, there's something that doesn't serve me, that identity doesn't serve me anymore, the one I had in the past. Yeah. I, I don't get a better human. And I think, like, what we need to understand in business is that, how do we actually make people better humans when they come into our business and how do we help them with that? And of course, there needs to be a salary that meets a certain level because we all need to. Yeah, there's like a hygiene factor to yeah. it. But I think that's why there's such a mass exodus of people in hospitality because they don't feel valued. They don't feel like the career is what they thought it was going to be. Um, and they're leaving. And it's a real shame because, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I never thought I'd be in hospitality when I was a kid. And, but I just think it's the best industry ever. It's such a, hmm. it's full of so much diversity and, you know, no day is ever the same. You could work a thousand years in hospitality. You'll never get a day yeah. exactly the same. Um, you get these, you meet amazing people. You, you know, for me, food is the kind of pillar of my life to, to get to work with proper food on a daily basis is amazing as well. And, you know, anyone that's worked in the kitchen knows they're a very unique place to be. Um, but they're the best. I love it, and it's a real—it's a real shame. You see, you know, so much negativity around where the industry's got on itself today. But there are obviously there are loads of outliers, and there are amazing businesses doing amazing things as well. Um, yeah, we just hope to to be one of them as well. Um, you, you touched about food. Let's let's get to that because that's also a very big passion of myself. Like you know, proper food, you know, honest food. Let's use that word. What's happening, you know, what is hospitality's role when, you know, you know, come to climate change, other challenges, the whole food supply chain, there's massive mm. uh, challenges within that. If it's even shortages of food, you know, also food that has been contaminated, as I say, with factory produced elements and things we don't even know what is, we would never have in our own kitchen. But what is the role of hospitality in all that? Because we, we are serving a lot of food. So, so we, we have a lot of impact, I guess, if we do the right thing. Yeah, I think um, we discussed it earlier um, before the podcast. I think you, you summed it up really nicely. Like it's, it's a Pandora's box at the moment and no one wants to open it because they're terrified of what they're going to find. And you see, you know, the majority of people and whether that's, you know, restaurant food or retail in your supermarket the majority, and I would hazard a guess, maybe it's as high as, say, 99% of people have no idea how their food has actually gotten to their plate. And, you know, in some ways, the carnage and destruction it's caused along the way to get there. Um, and I kind of kind of forgive customers for... Well, kind of not customers. I kind of forgive people who buy their food from supermarket to never... They're never going to get that detail... Um, in how they, how that steak got to that packet, or how that cauliflower got to that aisle, I get that because it's kind of it's almost impossible, and you know you're never going to get that level of detail from most supermarkets. Um, but in restaurants, I think we've got 
a better we should have a better understanding of where our food comes from you know big big businesses need to be better at sourcing better food because it can have a, a huge impact like we're seeing literally you know right now we're seeing the impact of of climate change right in front of our eyes um and it's you know it's pretty terrifying and i think the the problem's so big that people it's so much easier to just bury your head in the sand and forget about it but that's obviously not going to not going to fly for much longer so i think all restaurants have a far greater responsibility to try and source direct i think it's part of the is one of the main things um i think our system certainly the meat supply chain has been dominated by a few massive businesses that have enormous revenues um they promote quick fast intensive farming um they drive down prices with farmers um you know intensive farming has been i i get why there is intensive farming and i get why you know in the after the war why there was a serious shortage of food but that's not what is you know that's sort of 70 years ago now like we don't need to we shouldn't be behaving in the same way um we we've got to start working with nature not trying to replace nature with an industry which makes a lot of people very wealthy but ultimately destroys soil health and biodiversity so for honest as a business and for me who I love food and I I've, I've been eating I eat far too much of it I you know it's the thing that I look forward to um I'm already thinking what am I going to eat in Brighton today um we've got a responsibility and we haven't even scratched the surface you talk about that word honest living up to it we haven't even scratched the surface on how that plays into our supply chain and that's what the next few years is going to be for for me is how do we make our supply chain honest and we're we're good um we're better than most we don't have any skeletons i'd gladly show a customer around our full supply chain but i know we can be a lot better so that's where my focus is um yeah over the next few years yeah and i guess so that uh, as you do that you also open the pandora's box as we talked about yeah if you like it or not there will be things you don't know and i think that's the the scary bit with supply chains that things you don't know what happens in the sixth link of that supply chain sometimes yeah and I, well i think it if you take things at face value when it comes to food you're probably being lied to mm. and it's really you know sounds a bit extreme but there are so many marketing terms that are schemed up to you know do a slightly different grade of chicken which is actually exactly the same but you're going to charge more for it and you know I always use the corn fed everyone expects corn fed chicken to be better it must be better welfare because look at the packaging it's really nice and it's corn fed oh that's different you know it's it's nonsense at the end of the day and I think we've had it as a business where I thought our beef supply chain was good um and it and it, it is good but I thought it was better than good I thought we were buying grass-fed beef and we were um buying native breeds um and we are and those things have a certain meaning to them but they're not they're not enforced or or in, um they don't enforce enough and you know the grass-fed messaging you when you actually start unpicking it 
it really doesn't mean very much and that terrified me as soon as I found that out I was like this is crazy I need to be better than this you know and I found out that there's no one going around when when a when a farm or an abattoir or or a butcher says this beef is grass-fed there's no one going around checking there's no one there's no defra aren't walking around and auditing these farms and ensuring you know the best i could find is is 51 percent of a cow's life could be grass-fed mm. to be deemed grass-fed which i was like okay that's that's not grass-fed then is it if it's no. you know half the cow's life what about the rest of it is it soy is it is it soy grown in the rainforest is it soy grown unsustainably which you know when you look at what what i'm really passionate about now when you look at like regenerative farming and you see what a closed loop system it is just how you know how brilliant a system it is and then you look at how you know intensively reared cattle and intensively reared pigs and intensively reared chickens and just how different those systems are and how any benefit that that animal could have had on its own little ecosystem it's just been ripped out but it's quick and it's cheap and you know and that's what customers we've wanted all these years and I look at a regenerative system it just you know literally makes me quite emotional and I've been to a few of few farms I've seen these practices in place and I'm like you know, I'd, I would I would have a conversation with anyone about this is got to be the way we have to start looking to to try and combat um, climate change. You know, I don't think I think we all need to eat less meat. Obviously, everyone knows that, and I think it's you know a lot of people are, um, but going vegan, in my humble and non-scientific opinion. There's there's serious downsides to that also, um, and I think the assumptions people make with vegan food that firstly it's good for your body is terrifying because it's not, it just isn't, and you know there's a most vegan plant-based meats are incredibly high in omega six fats which are you know um, really high inflammatory. Um, ingredient they're full of um of hyper processed ingredients as well which god knows we don't even know what damage they're doing um i'd love to know the real deep dive on the the impact those ingredients are having on their own systems considering there's 25 plus in most of these products and they're all made around the world they're all hyper processed individually they're all repacked sent to a another factory probably in another country and then turned into a burger and then repacked and then sent out you know all these things just most vegans that i've spoken to don't know that they think that these products made of vegetables out of the ground with a nice happy farmer and a lovely bit of countryside um i'm aware of a bit of a tangent now but, but yeah so i think you know for me when i see i see honest as a bit of a platform to be able to try and promote things that you know, I'll say it kind of bluntly things that I think are important you know that's I guess that's the privilege I've got of being a co-founder of a business um, and I'm trying to be as expertly as I can be on it um, I see our business is going to be a beef business and it can be 
a better beef business and I think we can support farmers in the right way doing the right kind of farming methods um, and anyone listening who's interested in regenerative farming it's it's fascinating um, I won't go into all the details now because we probably could do another podcast on it but yeah that's that's a whole uh, that's a whole series yeah it's, but it's you know you know there's podcasts out there there's there's Netflix documentaries it's basically farmers working with nature and not trying to replace nature is the, the way that I would try and very succinctly tie it up but you know animal welfare is at the peak of it um and quality and um farmer mental health is something that you know doesn't get kind of get swept under the carpet i think the jeremy clarkson um farm program was was brilliant you know just just put a bit of a spotlight on on farmers who've been villainized for for so many years when they're the people that feed us they should yeah. be heroes you know? yeah. And obviously there are some that shouldn't be heroes, but the ones out there that are doing it right and trying to look after their land for their kids or their grandkids or other generations, they're heroes, man. They need to be need to be rewarded for that. And I hope our government's going to do that now with with Brexit. But yeah, apologies. <laughs> I remember no, what the no, first no, question was actually, now. Because actually we talked about that pre as well, because I actually think this is such an interesting conversation because we can do so much, as you say, by you know choosing our supply chain and challenging it mm. we will find things that maybe not okay how do we change that and then i like you you said as well it's also the way we actually uh, educate people about food because the thing there is an education because as you said uh, because i've done a bit of work in another project i'm working on where we were standing observing what happens in supermarket when you buy uh, over uh, processed meat mm. substitutes and people just look at the front page yeah I always look at the back page on anything I buy, also because I'm maybe a food freak like yourself. But they just pick it down. It looks like countryside. As seconds, you right? Look seconds. at it for seconds. And it's, it's under yeah. five seconds that decision made. And if people just start asking that question, is this exactly good for me? Will I have these ingredients at home? I think also if we can learn people that, we learn a lot. Well, I think that's one thing that we do have as a restaurant business. Because I think in terms of the impact from a customer you know, if you want to if you want to reduce your carbon footprint as a customer, it's it's the food you eat day in day out, which for most people isn't restaurant food. Um, it's it's your lunches, it's your breakfasts, it's your you know the midweek dinners you'll have, which is mostly from supermarkets. You yeah. know? And you know their impact is it's, you know there's some big claims being made at the moment in terms of goals and how they set them, which is good, but um, I don't think supermarkets are doing enough. But for restaurants, I feel like we can definitely give you a real deep dive into the education of where that food comes from. That's got to be our goal. And that's, you know, for the regenerative beef that we are um, going to be trialling in the next, literally the next few days um, in a few sites. For me, hopefully once that trial's over and we've stress tested the supply chain and we've got a great network of farmers and just to be you know on this one we've literally had to create the network there is no network out there the, the farmers we're bringing on boards we are we're educating them into a new supply chain and and into a new system and i say we this is um a group of farmers that i've um met who are absolute experts in it and they're practicing regenerative um methods they're now going out onboarding farmers and and making them you know educating them to change their system from literally from the ground up you know these some of these guys are just you know they might just overnight have something have happened where they're like 
I want to be better. And um, we're now giving them confidence to do that because we're going to be buying whole carcasses off them. Um, so they don't have to worry about what's going to happen with you know the premium cuts or the forequarter, the high, whatever it is. We're going to buy whole carcasses off them. Um, we're using an abattoir for a service, um, which is how you used to use abattoirs before they got so powerful. Um, and we're giving these guys a fair price, so they don't need to rely entirely on subsidies, which I think I read something a while ago that the EU budget, total budget, 40% of it made up farming subsidies, which is just mad. Like The industry doesn't yeah. work on its own. Um, and I'm, I don't know enough about that to know whether that's the only ever that's the only future for it. But I'd like to think, with the right education, and sadly we're going to probably get to a point where customers will only start really listening to the issues when they see them affect their own lives, like freak weather that we're all seeing. Yeah. And now, for honest, you know, like I keep saying that word above the door. How do we live up to our name? How do we be sustainable? Well, in my mind, we can't even mention the word sustainable until we've tackled our beef problem. And until we've done something about that, you know, that's the golden goose. So that's what we're doing. And, and for me, I think the way that we succeed at this is by educating people. And if we get people starting to learn more about regenerative farming, learn about the benefits of that, and they start they stop buying meat five times a week in Sainsbury's and they go to you know an independent butcher that's that's sourcing regenerative beef or regenerative meat in general then that's a that's quite powerful that kind of gets my um gets my juices going there's no doubt about like there's real passion about like doing a change and i love that the single focused as well like do one thing well here and actually figure that also because beef is so so relevant compared to, to your product um i want to ask you two more questions before we wrap up um this is a bit different we're going away from uh, the supply chain and the food and maybe there's a lesson within that but like leaders we all gone through extremely every person on earth has gone through this last couple of years with some crazy change what has been like the one life or leadership lesson you've taken out of this and actually taking on with you it's an old one um but i think it's the best one it would be lead by example mm-hmm. um i think I mean, i've heard i've heard stories and, and most people who've worked in hospitality have worked for someone that they would have zero respect for um and i've heard stories of of you know powerful business owners who you probably would have heard of how they treat their people and how they swear at them or phone them up at you know middle of the night and have a massive go at them like that's not a leader um for me personally it was when i decided to take my life a bit more seriously when we started honest i was 24 we had a lot of success at a very young age. I drank too much, partied too much. Um, that The blurred lines can cross very easily in hospitality between drinking and um, there's a huge drug problem in on our industry as well. For me, I decided because of lots of reasons to stop drinking and start taking care of myself. And that showed 
externally. I remember seeing a few of our chefs who'd been with us for a few years do the same thing. And I remember that felt really cool when they, you know, people who drink and smoke a lot stopped and they said we did this because we saw the benefit it had on you. Um, that meant a lot to me and I meant that was like, I felt like I was a leader who was impacting the people that work for us in a positive way. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a it's an old one, but it definitely is powerful. If you if you lead by example, you're not a hypocrite, and you know you will give yourself a break at the end of the day. You will get things wrong every now and again, but um, that's a, an important message. If you want to gain respect and credibility, that's the one. Yeah, it's a Dalai Lama also call, call it be the change you want to see in yeah. the world. Um, that takes us to the last question always on the podcast is like what like what is your like top three advice you've been setting some some standards about what you guys are doing and what you're pursuing that the greatness five out of five what is your advice to people uh, out there or leaders as well in the industry right now um i just don't feel qualified enough to give advice to other leaders but uh, i think for me if i can just say from my own learnings uh, honest you know for people who want to go into this industry people who want to give something a go you've got to do something that you're passionate about and so many people i find out you know that they're just they're doing something because they see it's a trend or it's a fashion or it's a um a fad like you've got to have your heart in it and the best businesses are created by people who who really really deeply meaningfully love that thing and i love burgers I was going to say the F word then, and I've gone all this way without swearing, I don't think. Um, you know, do do something that you feel you feel something for, because this will make your the next, you know, 10, 20 years, if you're lucky, doing that a lot easier. Um, and stop procrastinating. Like, that. I literally have to tell myself that every single day, everyone procrastinates every single day. And it kills me and I do it all the time and I really try and have the conversation with myself to just get on with it. And I think with businesses, I love speaking to people who've made that step. I struggle with people who haven't, but who have, have thought about it for years. I struggle with those people because, you know, what are you waiting for? You're getting older, life's getting more stressful. You've got to just get on with it. And we made some howlers along the way but um we didn't procrastinate we really just got stuck into it what about um the organization as honest is there like you know any any learnings advice you can take from from that if people want to set up a business is like one thing they should do um so the organization business i think it's again an old one but a goodie you need to get people in that are way better than you at stuff don't be afraid of that there's so many people at honest who are so much better at so many things than i am you shouldn't expect to be the best of ever everything um you need to be humble enough to find people that are better than you and give them the freedom to do what they need to do um And I think doing something on your own, I, I wouldn't I dread to think what Honest would have turned out as if it was just me or if it was just Phil or if it's just Dorian. Like it wouldn't. 
wouldn't have happened. So don't do it on your own. Find someone that you trust. Not necessarily a best mate. I think that's always a bit... You need someone like me and Phil. We're, we're more like brothers than we are mates. Mm. Um, you kind of transcended friendship, and that's what you need. Um, but probably not your actual brother as well, because I think me and my brother would kill each other for business. <laughs> I'll be the same here <laughs> yeah. in my family dynamics. Um, Tom, absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing that. Uh, there's so many episodes more we could do on regenerative farming. You know, we could do a whole series on culture as well. It's some big questions we talked about. It. I, th- I think we, we went really well around it. So thank you for your, for your time and your, your honesty. Uh, and I send you and uh, the team and everybody around you like the power and energy to uh, go through the, the next period, whatever that looks like. Yeah, who knows? Thanks for uh, for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Tom, for your great insights on how to build a business both employees and customers love and support, and also for sharing your knowledge around regenerative farming. I would recommend you now to sit down with pen and paper and ask yourself, what is the one thing we can start tomorrow to build an organization that both employees and customers love to be part of? To get further inspiration on how to build an organization that uses culture as competitive edge, tune in to episode 77 with Nicole Antonio Gatson, who is the founder of Banana Pepper HR on Leading with Care. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on the social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingsau, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick.